Welcome to the Foundation Podcast, your weekly insight into the most significant conservative ideas being discussed right now all across America. From policymakers to grassroots activists, and from thought leaders to elected leaders, each week we bring you the people and the ideas shaping the American Republic. Brought to you with a dose of Texas, where Lone Star Liberty shines brighter than ever. Well, folks, thanks again for joining yet another episode of the Foundation Podcast. This is Kevin Roberts, your host, and we are truly privileged today, I mean that, to have a member of the Texas legislature, Mr. Paul Workman, who represents one of the districts here in Austin with us. And this is exciting. Even if you're listening to this podcast from someplace outside Texas, number one, we're sorry that you're listening to this from a place outside Texas. We, we'd love to see you in Texas sometime soon. But number two, what we're talking about today will have an impact on your life. We are talking about something that seems mundane, it seems subtle, it seems as if it has no effect, and that is the city of Austin's recently passed paid sick leave ordinance. We'll get into the details of that. It's important for you because recent research shows that maybe 33 million Americans all across the country are now affected by similar legislation. Representative Workman will address the issue here in Austin. He will address what the legislature may do about it. Most importantly, Representative Workman is going to talk about the philosophy behind our foundation's opposition to this and what we need to be doing in terms of good governance. He's also agreed, and I'm happy about this because of his background as a businessman, a captain in the U.S. Army Reserve, and I say this as a longhorn, even a Texas A&M Aggie, that he has a wonderfully clear perspective on what it's like to be a businessman, the importance of civic engagement for all of us. But I think he's even willing to share a little bit about what life is like as a so-called part-time legislator in the state of Texas. Paul Workman, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I'm glad to be here. Before we jump into the topic of the day, this paid sick leave business, let's, let's start a little bit generally and give our listeners, if you will, a sense of some of the issues and topics you've worked on as a member of the Texas legislature. Okay. Um, well, first of all, a little background. I was in the construction business, or am in the construction business all my life as a contractor most of that time. And uh, a few years back, I was uh, chairman of the board of a, a statewide association that advocated for the construction industry at the Capitol and, and uh, became exposed to that and then and decided at that point to run for office and um, for those that don't know Travis County, it's a very liberal county in Texas. And uh, we were able to defeat a female Democrat incumbent in Travis County, which is a pretty tall order. Uh, we were fortunate to be able to do that. Uh, we're in our fourth term and running for our fifth term. We represent Western and Southern Travis County, which is, um, uh, is, is not largely rural, but about half rural and half urban. Uh, in fact, I say we have half the geography, but only a sixth of the population. And uh, for uh, a perspective on on the the, uh, the district, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton essentially tied mm -hmm. in the 2016 election. So it's it's not a a super conservative district, but it's also not a liberal district. So. We have to work hard every time to get reelected, and, and uh, we're working on that as well. And so we've worked on a number of different issues. Um, we've worked on uh, 
a deal called Captive Propane, which was a, a big deal in my first session. Uh, we also changed state law or state um, legal theory by removing sovereign immunity from the state of Texas on matters of contract. And that was a that was a really big deal because we we the, the state has enjoyed sovereign immunity since our inception, and um, we believed that uh, you know a business that do, has a contract with the state and they believe the state's breached that contract, they should have the opportunity to have their day in court, and uh, this allows them to do that. And that you know, so that was a major change that we were able to get done a, a couple of sessions ago. Uh, we've worked on water. I'm on the Natural Resources Committee. I'm very interested in making sure that our citizens uh, will have the water we need for the uh, future. Uh, as you know, we're going to have, we're expected to have 50 million people in Texas, uh, almost doubling in the next 30 years or so, and so all those people are going to need water. And so I'm, I've been uh, working hard on water issues and trying to make sure that we have water. I'm also on the Business and Industry Committee, and we deal with a lot of different issues related to uh, business and, and industry, including um, homeowners associations. We, we work on uh, various insurance issues, not the insurance committee, but the business side of it. And so we do a lot of things uh, in, in that to try to make sure that our state stays healthy from a business perspective. You've been a busy man. Thanks for your service to the people of Texas. One of the themes that we touch on a lot on this podcast is, of course, political philosophy, especially for those of us who would describe ourselves as some version of conservative, free market, libertarian, whatever the case may be. And we talk about how sometimes it, the, the, the practical circumstances of a particular policy, particular age, particular era that is in history, kind of swerve into some of those philosophical principles. In other words, here in, the, in our public policy work, sometimes we have to say, yes, we're, we're advocating for the ideal, you know, whether it is in uh, education or regulation, but we know that it might take several legislative sessions to get there. Given your district and given your, your, your own background as, as a man of faith, as a man who I know to be very conservative, given your district, you often have to live out that tension between the, the, the I guess, the purity of the political philosophy and the pragmatism of the day. And that's true, and I do consider myself a pragmatist, and, and there are a lot of times that, that we uh, have to cast a vote that we probably would rather not have to cast, uh, but for the good of all, and sometimes we have to do that. Uh, but uh, we try to hold true to our, our underlying fundamental philosophies of, of a free market and uh, capitalism, and, and so... Uh, we, we will do that whenever we possibly can and then uh, deal with the issues that, uh, that come up that, that uh, sometimes challenge those. Sure, and live to fight another day, right? That's right. Yeah, that's a, I, as I tell our, our policy staff, and I think I've, I've mentioned this to you before, that late in the legislative session here, or, or increasingly we're doing some, some work at the federal level, obviously Congress is an even bigger nut to crack, that we have adopted the philosophy of full-scale incrementalism. Yeah. In, in, in other words... Be, be happy with what you can get. Of course, be cheerful warriors. It's a really important part of, of how we do things and how you do things. And I think for those of us who are in public policy, in your case, elected politics, that's really important. It, it is that, that approach, that political philosophy that has created the free market, 
that has created what we know as capitalism that has you concerned about our specific topic today. And again, to sort of set the table for this discussion, the city of Austin in February of this year, I believe, passed an ordinance applying to all private sector companies mandated paid sick leave. If you will, flesh out a couple of the important details there, especially from the perspective of a business owner, and why this is a problem. Well, look, this is really the third of their um, ordinances that they've passed uh, attacking private businesses. And we, we started out, the, the, the one that, that really got our attention was what they call fair chance hiring, which is the ban the box and trying to make sure that uh, people get an opportunity to have a job. And I look, I support that. In fact, I've passed and supported and been joint author on legislation to create second chances for people who have been incarcerated. And it is a bad situation. But, again, you don't want the heavy hand of government mandating uh, what businesses must do and uh, anything outside of health and safety. And so we, um, we will be looking at fair chance hiring. The other one that they've got is a deal called uh, expedited permitting. And that says that if you want your permit quicker, then you've got to pay a living wage and you've got to uh, hire a monitoring company and to make sure that your workers are treated fairly. And then comes along paid sick leave. And look, there are others in the pipeline. There's one called predictive scheduling that they're working on. There's one, uh, they're talking about election vouchers that they're doing. They've already got some version of that. But it seems like everything, anytime something comes up in Seattle or Portland or San, San Francisco, uh, we, we hear about it over here within two or three weeks. And so, but paid sick leave is, is one that it really gets a lot of people stirred up uh, because it is, again, government intrusion on private business and their hiring practices, their employment practices, and <clears throat> the city just has no business doing that. And the market will determine uh, what companies provide paid sick leave and which ones don't. And if you're a company in business and you don't provide paid sick leave, then you're going to have a harder time hiring people. And when I was in a construction company, we provided paid sick leave to, to some of our workers. And, and, uh, and so and we did that because we had to mm -hmm. in order to compete in the market. Look, I'm a, I'm a avowed capitalist. And I believe that everything that we enjoy, all the material things that we enjoy today, uh, comes from capitalism. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at Russia... What innovations have come out of Russia? They're a communist country. Nothing's been created over there that we use over here. Almost everything that we enjoy is coming out of the United States because of our capitalism. Now, Japan has also produced a lot of stuff because they're capitalists. China, even though they're communists, have figured out that capitalism's a pretty good deal, and so they've loosened up, and there's a lot of capitalism going on in China as well. And the point is that socialism doesn't work. I think Margaret Thatcher was famously said, socialism works until you run out of other people's money. And this city council in Austin, Texas, seems um, determined to go down the path of socialism, to get their fingers into the business of private business and tell them 
how they need to hire people, when they can hire them, when they can run a criminal background check, uh, how much they need to pay them, and, and now this so-called paid sick leave, which we really call uh, paid time off because it, you don't really have to be sick to get it. And you don't have to provide a lot of evidence that you're sick in order so, to do it. So it's, it's, it's an area that this city council has just chosen to go into uh, and it's something that we will be fighting at the state legislature to try to reverse because we know that if it's allowed to stand in Austin, it'll be in San Antonio and Houston and Dallas and before too long. Sure, because it's, it's part of, of an agenda and neither you nor I is a conspiracy theorist, but it is an agenda. You can follow the money on the left. And I'm just going to read for our listeners the, the list of cities that have passed this paid sick leave ordinance. And then we're going to contrast that list of cities and what you think about those cities with a city that is the capital of Texas. San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles, Berkeley, San Diego, California, Washington, D.C., New York City, as you said, Seattle, Philadelphia, Montgomery County, Maryland, Chicago, St. Paul, Minnesota, Newark, New Jersey, several other cities in New Jersey, Austin, this particular article written by a left-of-center publication, celebrates is the first city in the South to pass such an ordinance. And to your point, and I was really glad you made this, this point, this is merely one step. This paid sick leave ordinance is merely one step in agenda to impose socialism at the local level. It, it very much uh, is. And that, that I, you know, I guess they, they believe in that, and that's what they, uh, they want to try to do. I mean... Uh, predictive scheduling, which I mentioned, really tells a private employer you got to guarantee where your person's going to be for two weeks out. If you don't, then you're going to pay a penalty. I mean, if you're a service company, how's that going to work? You know, you got people going all over everywhere, and there's no way you can do that. And so they, they're not thinking this stuff through. There's a couple of city council people, on, there are a couple of people on the council who are particularly ideological, mm-hmm. and they're pushing this. And unfortunately, um, the balance of the council, save for one, uh, is following along with them and just, you know, feels like they have to go along with it. We had two council members actually voted against the paid sick leave, uh, but normally it's 10 to 1, the, the one city council person who is against all of this stuff. And, um, and so, you know, I don't know, and it's, it's almost like, they're rushing to get all this stuff done as fast as they can because they think maybe this is their one opportunity to bring socialism uh, to the state of Texas. But I have talked to a lot of my colleagues in the state and the Texas House and in the Senate, and um, they are not happy about the introduction of socialism in Texas. And I think they will be uh, um, firmly in our court when we start trying to undo some of this stuff in the next legislative session. Well, God bless you for that, because the, the city of Austin, the, the city council in particular, has been a repeat offender when it comes to using their authority as a governing body of the city to impose real abridgments of people's liberty. And that's really what this is about. And I want to I sort of dive into that issue, because that is the people's liberty being violated by the government unit closest to them. That's, that's sort of strange for people who've, who've read the constitutional debates or at least familiar with them. And the debate that you often find yourself in, we certainly find ourselves in, is, is, surrounds this question, why should the state step in 
and overrule, so to speak, to use the, the verb that the left uses, what a city has done? Well, that is a, a question that, that arises a lot. I mean, the workmen, what business have you got dealing in city affairs? These, after all, are a duly elected city council representing the people. Well, if you look at the Declaration of Independence, you will find that, that one of the things that they first said in there was that governments were instituted to protect the freedoms, the liberties that we have, the God-given the liberties that, that we have, not to undo those. And so we believe that a lot of what they're doing are trampling on the liberties of our citizens. And I feel a duty to, to try to make sure that that doesn't happen. There's a practical aspect as well. One is that the cities were chartered by the state of Texas. They, they didn't just emerge on their own. They were given a charter by the state of Texas. Article 11, Section 13 of the Texas Constitution grants the Texas legislature specific authority to deal in matters of governments at the local level. This is not some new crazy idea that the representative workmen's come up with. This is something that we've had in our Constitution since its beginning. And so we will continue to do that. I mean, I do represent Western Travis County, but about 40% of my constituents are in the city of Austin, and I hear from those constituents. I have a duty to, to represent them as well. And so regardless of whether or not uh, the city council thinks that, that they've got carte blanche to do whatever they want to do, that is just not the case. Uh, and, and as a state legislature, I'm not going to sit by and do nothing while they continue to strip the rights of its citizens. Um, and so that's why I'm doing this. No, I I'm really am grateful, and, and not just because as one of the employers in the city of Austin that would be affected by this ordinance, but also being someone who has studied the history of this, it's just incorrect. It's 100% incorrect for people to say that either in reference to the Texas state constitution or the long-running custom in, in all of Western civilization that, and just pardon me for a moment as we get philosophical, that, and we know this from Aristotle, that when people are in this, this um, theoretical phase known as a state of nature, they create a little village community that becomes kind of like their city government. That city government gives up some of its own authority to a state. In the United States, of course, the states created the sovereignty that is in the federal government. The cities and counties have none, legally, philosophically, in terms of our custom. Of course, they have authority, but 100% of their authority, constitutionally, legally, in terms of our social and, and civil customs, come from the state. And, and people forget that. It's, it's ironic to me that People who are on the left of center on the political spectrum now believe that the federal government and the state government is unimportant. And they've used that as their hammer for so long against those of us who are right of center. And now they see the cities and, the, and increasingly the counties as the only places where they can impose their agenda of socialism. Well, that's right. And, and if you look at these national movements like Ban the Box and this paid sick leave that are going around the country, they've they figured out they can't get anything done at the national level. And in certain states like Texas, they figured out they're not going to be able to get anything done here. So they're focusing on the, the local municipalities and trying to get them to do stuff. And so 
it makes it all the more important for us to to try to push back against that and make sure that that doesn't stick here in the state of Texas. Some people, as I go around the state talking, as I know you do, different groups ask me, what are we going to do about this this problem of cities that are just out of control? And we see that in Texas on some other issues we don't have time to get into today. And and ultimately, it's it, it requires a balance, but it's out of balance right now. And and the legislature, as as you recognize, and I think most of your colleagues recognize, has a duty to step up and sort of like the parent who has a misbehaving child or misbehaving teenager, whether it's a slap on the wrist or something a little more stern, I, I think that we can expect to see that next legislative Well, session. I think we absolutely can. And, and you know, that brings up the topic of, of, of really a property taxes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have a city here who has, for the last number of years, and I don't know what that number is, 10, 15 years, have consistently raised their property tax rate, the rate, even though their values are going up at enormous exponentially amount, exponential amounts. And so their revenues have gone up uh, uh, much more than they've needed. And so they kind of got this sense, well, we've got this money, we can, you know, we can go out now and, and solve the world's problems. And I'm sure you've heard about um, the head tax in Seattle. I mean, they wanted to charge, it was originally going to be $500 and $275 per person that they were planning on using for homeless problem. Well, I think what I've read is that if you look closely at it, it doesn't say for sure that it's going to be used for the homeless problem, so don't tell it. But I I suspect that uh, we'll we'll start hearing about a head tax here in Austin here before long because we do have a homeless problem and it needs to be dealt with, uh, but they're... Their, um, their solution to this is to tax more people, not to give freedom to more people. So anyway, we'll, we'll have to see how that one goes when it shows up here. Well, you're right about that. And, and another reminder that regardless of where our listeners may live, that this is an issue relevant to them, both the specific topic of paid sick leave, but also kind of this this legal, constitutional, even philosophical question of the interplay between state governments and local governments. Whether someone would describe themselves as a conservative or liberal or something else, that's relevant because it's something that the United States and our British forebears and Roman forebears before that have, have always struggled with trying to, to keep in balance. You know, it's interesting uh, because I've got relationships, of course, with the mayors in the smaller cities in my district. Sure. And they don't misbehave. I mean, they're they're out there fixing the potholes, making sure that the police are there and that fire protection is there. And um, and yet, when I talk to them about some issue at the city of Austin, they just roll their eyes, saying, "Yeah, I mean, it's, it's oh, it's not all cities in Texas." And I want to make sure that we're clear on that because there are many cities that are doing exactly what they're doing. The council people are, understand their role is to make sure that there are services there. Um, that are fire, police, EMS, and that they take care of the roads and that sort of thing. But they're not out trying to to tell businesses how to act and how to mm-hmm. employ people and and all of that. So there are a lot of good cities out there. It's the large urban areas that are really the problem. I think that's spot on. It's certainly been, been my experience as well. It's actually a really good lead-in to my next question, which is a, a, a slight shifting of topics away from the paid sick leave ordinance to the importance of civic engagement, civic participation. Because people, I'm sure, ask you, you have constituents who ask you, 
people ask me as I travel around, what can I do as someone who's trying to raise a family, run a business, pay bills, pay increasing property taxes? What can I do in the political process in civil society to make a difference? What would you encourage them to do? Well, and my own story is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. on that too, because um, 14 years ago, if you'd asked me who my state representative was, I probably couldn't have told you. And um, it wasn't until I became engaged uh, in working as an advocate for our industry at the state that I began to um, understand and become interested in, in, in what's going on, even though a lot of what we do at the state level affects, directly affects a lot of people. And it certainly affected the construction industry, and it affects all industries, and affects the individual lives that are out there. And so the, the important thing is for people to, to, to get engaged. And what does that mean? I mean, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But from my perspective, if you're in, if you're in uh, uh, let's just say you're in San Angelo, you need to know who your state representative is, and you need to, you need to make sure that uh, when something comes up, they already know who you are. It's not like you got to come in and, and uh, introduce yourself. And we encourage our constituents to come by at all times outside of the session and visit with us so that I can get to know them and they can get to know me. And they've got issues they can come and talk to me about, and that is civic engagement. And you come in and talk and learn who these people are that will be making these decisions. I've, there are some, I've picked up the phone from the floor on the house and called a constituent and said, this is on the floor right now. What do you think about it? Mm-hmm. And it's because I had that relationship with that person that I was able to pick up the phone in the middle of session and say, I'm about to have to vote on this. I've studied the issue, but what is your opinion? What do you want to do? And, um, and so we have that, uh, that ability to do that. And if citizens will get to know their state representatives and their state senators, then when something comes up, they can call them. And I've gotten calls on the House floor saying, what are you doing? Uh, or what's going on? <clears throat> and so it's important for them to do that. Mm-hmm. And without the relationship, you can't do it. So the biggest thing is to develop a relationship, whether it's at the municipal level or at the state level, or at the federal level, for that matter, you need to you need to find out and talk to and develop a relationship with those who are representing you. Sure, I, that's an excellent explanation, and, and I'd certainly underscore that, and and also encourage our listeners, maybe people they're trying to inspire to get involved. That if they 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 hear that from you and they're willing to believe it and act on it, they might say, "But but then what do I do?" Well, well forming the relationship is really important, and you you have said that as a member of the legislature because it helps you formulate your decisions on these. The second thing I have told people too is just ask questions. I mean, go to a city council meeting, and you don't have to be ugly about it. In fact, we ought not be ugly about it. We it's important that we model civil discourse, but just ask questions about things you don't understand. And if you have someone who's elected representing you who's not explaining that in a way that makes sense, you ask a follow-up question, not in an ugly way, but in in a way that gets to the bottom of it. And then it sort of lets you know on which issues you can spend some time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, everybody's got different issues that are important to them, and and so it's important for them to, to be engaged. You know, one of the interesting things that I found out when I was first elected 
the first meeting I had right after I was elected was with the veterinarians. And the veterinarians wanted to talk about equine dentistry. I had no idea what equine dentistry Even though was. you're an Aggie. Even though I'm an Aggie. <laughs> and, and so I sit there and listen to them talk about floating horses' teeth and that there are people out there that are doing that that aren't licensed. And, and it's kind of interesting because it made me realize that if you ask me a question about construction, I probably can answer it or I can get the answer pretty quickly. It's a very narrow mm-hmm. um, body of knowledge. But... As a legislator, I'm expected to have knowledge about a a very wide range of things. And so if I don't have a relationship with someone who's who's passionate about mental health, for for instance, then I might not have the information that I need to make better decisions. So it's important. And we hear from citizens. We hear from associations. You know, you talk, people are bad, uh, always bashing lobbyists, and of course, they're people that are not good lobbyists, but for the most part, lobbyists are coming in to educate us, to help us understand issues. And we will almost every time hear from both sides of an issue, Mm -hmm. from the lobbyist or from an association. And so an individual that comes to visit me to talk about a situation, they're lobbying me. They're a lobbyist in that respect. They're not officially legally a lobbyist, but they're lobbying me on an issue. And that's fine. That's okay. And it's good for me to to have and gain that knowledge that I can't get any other way. What caused you to run for the legislature? Well, uh, again, I mentioned that, you know, I was advocating for the construction industry up there. And I, I realized that the person that was in the, the seat that I hold uh, did not reflect my values. And I didn't think that she reflected the values of the state of Texas or of our district. And uh, I was also at that point in life where I could. Mm-hmm. And there are many times that people run and become state representatives, and they're really not ready in terms of life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one uh, lobbyist tell me one time who happened to be a member when he was very young, and uh, he told me, he said, you know, if I had to do it again, I would never run at age 25. It was just, I just didn't have a life experience. Mm-hmm. Well, I had reached that point in my life, our business was moving along fine, that I could take the time and do this, because it's pretty time consuming. Even though it's a part-time legislature, Even though right? it's a part-time legislature. It's very full-time. Yeah. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Last question. What does the future hold for Texas and for America? Well, I have to believe that Texas will remain a conservative state and will be the light on the hill for the rest of the nation to look to uh, for how a state should be. If I didn't believe that, then I'm wasting an awful lot of time. But I do believe that, and I believe that we will continue to do the things in the state of Texas to ensure that we remain true to the principles of our founding fathers and conservatism to try to make sure that we have a state where people want to live. And the reality is they're moving here is answering that question. And uh, if we start seeing the net in migration fall off, then we may be concerned that we've stopped being the state that people want to come to. And um, 
what, so I believe that the state of Texas is future is is very good and very healthy and we will um, I know that I and uh, most of my colleagues down at the Capitol uh, are going to do everything they can to make it that way. Texas State Representative Paul Wortman, thanks for joining us. You're a great American and a great Texan. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to the Foundation Podcast, brought to you by the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Please don't forget to subscribe.